Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Melbourne AWS User Group podcast. We're now in 2021. So this is our first episode of the new year. And again, we'll be discussing everything that was new in January, or rather since our last episode, which was recorded halfway through reInvent. Once again, I'm joined by my good friends, Guy Morton. Hello. And Jean-Manuel Becker. Hello, everyone. Um, thank you for listening in to us. Oh, so it's been busy. We've had some things come out from reInvent that we didn't cover in our last episode, and then some more things afterwards. So let's just dive into it and discuss what there is. As always, let's start with Finally in Sydney. We've got four announcements this time. Start with the most boring one, Arjen, and then we'll build up. Okay. Now we have to decide which is the most boring one. I'll go for recognition custom labels. Yeah, I think that's a good, that's a solid choice. So this uh, means that you can now use custom labels for your recognition. This is for automatically labeling and things like that. And I believe, um, JM, you mentioned earlier that it's not the full version of it available in Sydney? Well, it's, it's about the right you can process the information. Um, so for example, Tokyo, um, you can do five transactions per second. US East, you can do 50 operations per second. In, in Sydney, uh, it, it's two uh, for certain uh, operations per second. So I'm not sure the impact it would have but per account, we are much more limited than than other regions at the moment in in capacities. But but is that about the rate at which you can the custom labels can be used, or the the rate at which you can create them? Uh, it's the rate you can send the auto ML to uh, create the tags and uh, compare faces, detect faces, get everybody info, index faces. It's, it's uh, transaction per second uh, at the account to for the image data plane operation right so I guess we just had we just don't have all the all the the, the gear oh, that might be sufficient I mean two or three or one operation per second that might be enough uh, to do the job but uh, obviously the USE stars 50 so and even Tokyo have five now I'm sure they're going to build up it's about building the capacity uh, here in in uh, AP sources too yeah so I'll remind everyone that like, um, recognition custom label is automated machine learning uh, to find objects in scene and images. Um, so you can find logo, you can find on media post, for example, you can find a product on shelf, you can classify machine parts in assembly line. So it's, it's really uh, for factories and, and uh, for um, recognizing objects into, into images at the fast rate. Cool. So um, second least, the second most boring, Particle QL? Yep, I think so. So Particle QL for DynamoDB is now in, in Sydney and 23 regions now in total. So that's the SQL-like query language that you can now use if you've got a DynamoDB um, database set up. You can use Particle QL to query it instead of um, the DynamoDB API calls and such. So yeah, particleql.org, uh, that's a website. You can go and download the open source product there. Uh, you need the Java runtime uh, to be able to run it on your machine. Um, and um, yeah, you can query lang language 
with SQL compatible language queries and access multiple type of data stores. So not only DynamoDB, but all the type of data, even, you know, CSV files and everything semi-structured or, or nested data you can, you can query with SQL language. So that was open source by AWS because they were using that in-house. Um, so now you can uh, enjoy it for yourself. Yeah, they released the language itself sometime earliest last year, I think. But yeah, now having it available for Dynamo is really nice. And I believe the intention was to make it a single language available for all the services. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and uh, you both very uh, uh, literate because you, you pronounce the, the right way, particle. Um, you could pronounce it particle or some other th other part, but the way to pronounce it correctly is parti particle. Yes, that, that's correct. And it seems like Adibus is really positioning that as a as a sort of a, a, a common a, a lingua franca for, for databases in their in their ecosystem, so they're kind of bringing it in to to play in different all different places. Yeah, so a bit of competition between the the, the most interesting one is it T four G in Sydney or is it Network Firewall? Well, you, you could you could probably start a bar, a bar fight about that. <laughs> yeah, I think in most for most people it would be the T four G that is the most interesting. But I think with us it's probably the Network Firewall. So let's just first quickly go over T four G. It's not that much to say about it. Uh, obviously, we've discussed these already uh, many times before. Uh, successors basically to T3 instances, the T4G are the Graviton instances. They run the same way as the T3 instances. So you've got limited spike um, loads. Yeah, yeah, you have the ability to burst CPU usage at any time as long as you require. So it, it works the same, a baseline level CPU and, and you burst it when you need it. The, the big difference though is not Intel, obviously, it, it's ARM, it's uh, the custom build by AWS processor, 64-bit uh, ARM, Neoverse N1 cores. Um, but what AWS says is like, it's 40% faster than the T3 instances. Um, so you can get so much more uh, bang for your buck, basically, uh, with, with that, that performance. And it, it comes in seven size um, and up to uh, 8 vCPU and 32 gig memory. And all come with 5 gig bandwidth uh, on the network. And that was a big problem on T2 and T3 where the bandwidth was really really bad. So this one guarantee 5 gig and then all EBS optimized as well. So you, you have a, like a decent machine even in the in the T family to, to play around with. Yeah. And also until the end of March, you can use 750 hours of free T4G micro usage per month. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's a two CPU, one gig memory machine. And if you use the 8 CPU version, you will get credited still the 2 CPU and 1 gig memory uh, cost. So that, that's, that's nice enough, even if you use a bigger one. Uh, and I'll remind everyone that you can have, you know, many Linux distro running on this, like Amazon Linux, Ubuntu, Red Hat, SUSE Linux, Fedora, Debian. I mean, the list goes on. You can even run ECR, ECS, EKS, um, and you have all the agents that AWS provide, like CloudWatch, System Manager, Inspector, CrowdStrike. Datadog, I mean, keep going on the list. So it's really a viable product now, and I think companies should look at it. Um, I mean, 40% more performance and cheaper price. You can't beat that. Yeah, and and it's also greener, right? It's using less power. That's that's part of the part of the the, the story there too. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, Amazon want to reach. Uh, I think 
uh, green, uh, 100% renewable energy uh, in in the this decade. So that's going to help them for sure. Cool. So, and as we've already hinted at, the final one for now available in Sydney is the Network Firewall, released uh, originally, I think it was the week before we invent, or maybe two weeks before. This allows you to set up a managed firewall in your account, including letting traffic go through a transit gateway and then outbound through the network firewall, so that you can just have the one for all of your VPCs. And in general, it just seems like a really nice product. Yes, it's, um, it's you know, we have been longing and waiting for a long time for a product like this in the AWS space. The, the nice part is it's a managed infrastructure uh, with high availability. It's guaranteed for 409. So um, that, that's pretty nice for a firewall. And knowing that you have several ones, so you can, you know, redirect traffic. You can obviously filter TCP rules, UDP rules uh, quite easily. But you can do as well a traffic inspection uh, with the uh, uh, SNI certificate with uh, encrypted traffic. And you can use Suricata compatible rules so you can import them from other places, uh, which is um, the way to define uh, what you want to filter. He has an IPS system included, inspecting the traffic flow. And then obviously you got some good logs as well. You can send to S3 and back to a SIEM or, or a SOC further inspection on the logs. And because he include, uh it can integrate with firewall manager so if you have several uh, firewall network firewall inside your organization you can ensure that they all have the same rules can talk about price a little bit uh, it's a bit dear uh, when you look at the product in isolation uh, it's 39 cents uh, 0.5 per per hour uh, per endpoint so when you have three az's you will need three endpoints um, that that's around you know, 366 Australian dollar per AZ and $1,200 per month, uh, for, for the three AZ. So when you annualize that, it's around $15,000, uh, Australian dollars to have a firewall in your organization. So I recommend that you, you use an egress, uh, VPC or you centralize your firewall and you use transit getaway to be able to centralize that traffic. If you don't want to use transit getaway, then you will need to install a firewall in almost all of your uh, VPC, which uh, will work it up the cost. So AWS is nice enough. Uh, I give you the free NAT. Uh, service if you use the, the firewall because usually you, they work in pairs. So you put um, uh, your, your firewall and then your NAT or, or you can put your NAT and your firewall depending on how the way you design it uh, in your uh, uh, traffic path. But if you are to compare with all the marketplace product that a big FSI company are using, then we're talking about more like $45,000 a year. So when you compare the two products, and obviously they are not the same, they are not the same licensing, but you know, AWS can offer a very decent firewall that you can tune and, and operate uh, for, you know, a third of the cost of all the, all the offering in the marketplace, even with, you know, a reserve instance and all of that, because I'll remind you that if you use a marketplace product, you need to pay not only the license to the firewall provider, but as well the compute fee uh, in the network firewall uh, product, everything is inclusive. I think it's a good offering. I think that was our longest finally in Sydney section ever. So let's have a look at serverless now. There's a bunch of things for Lambda, but I suspect the most interesting one for most people 
will be the compute optimizer that it now supports Lambda. Basically what this does is it analyzes your Lambda functions. For these, they have, to have run a number of times and based on that, it will then tell you, hey, scale it up or you can scale it down to get the most bang for your buck, basically. So yeah, you need to run uh, or to have invoke your Lambda function at least uh, 50 times in the last 14 days for the optimizer to be able to have enough data to be able to uh, have that information. So yeah, a bit the same, the same as EC2, right? EC2, you had to have some, some minimum time as well. I guess that makes sense. But, um, you know, the size of computer and, lambda and memory is always a, a, a big uh, guess when you run your Lambda for the first time. So that's going to help us for sure. At, at, at scale. Even if you optimize it at the start, when you first deploy it, afterwards a function may get updated, it may get some improvements built into it, or it gets functionality added to it, That and in the end then you'd be better off with different settings. But because nobody ever looks at it until the Lambda function fails, you won't know about that. Mm, it's true. Other than that, Lambda got some updates around Apache Kafka, so the and uh, Amazon MSK managed service for Kafka, um, which if you're using Kafka, uh, you might be quite happy about. Um, you now have a self-managed Kafka as well, uh, being an event source for, for the Lambda, which is kind of neat. So yeah, your batch get uh, processed in 10,000 records. So Kafka is a streaming system of events and, and Lambda obviously will wait for having the 10,000 record before we get launched or if the payload reaches six meg and then uh, your Lambda will operate and then do in batch your, your, your Kafka service. And obviously can scale if you have more and more. So very interesting. Um, there is some announcement this month as well about SQS be able to handle faster uh, <coughs> processing. Um, and, and it's in the same type of angle to be able to process, you know, logs, uh, transactions per second, and all of that much faster now through, through systems. Is that specifically around the FIFO? There's a FIFO and, and there's the uh, the number of operations per second as well. I think it's moved from 2,000 per second to 5,000 per second now in the standard SQS. And you have a different pricing range. So, you know, some operation in banking, for example, or transaction, who couldn't use SQS, had to go to Kafka, maybe now they can reconsider SQS, I don't know, uh, and then Lambda can process them and, you know, update database as well in, in a kind of um, PubSub type of, of environment. Um, so, yeah, a lot of improvement in that area, I can see. Uh, in the same, uh, there is an announcement this month as well, AWS Lambda launching checkpointing for Amazon Kinesis and Dynamo Stream. So it's the same type of idea. If your Lambda function was failing, then you couldn't, you have to handle the errors and, and all of that. Now you can have checkpointing so you can come back and uh, in time on your Kinesis stream and then reprocess, avoiding duplication of record and, and error handling. So I think that's, that's again, that's something angle maybe for the financial industry or stock market or, or banking where they can you know, use different options that before it was Kafka, everybody wanted Kafka. Now there is, I think, more offering and more quality in the in the streaming product of AWS. Well, I'm sure the stock market would love to roll back uh, a couple of days at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say the other major thing on the serverless side is API Gateway HTTP APIs now supporting data mapping. This again is one of those trends we've talked about before where 
HTTP API and REST API are converging in their capabilities. And in this case, it is the data mapping. Yeah, just adding all those use, useful features that weren't core enough to make it in the first version. <laughs> Time for you to sleep, guy, or...? <laughs> <laughs> No, no, time for me to learn. Ah. I'm, I'm going listen, to listen to your uh, listen to your words of wisdom. Yeah, so uh, I, I mean, I do recognise some 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 names of things in in this section. So you know, um, uh, uh, you know. Well, you can you can catch up uh, the IoT is all yours guy section. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't do that. I, I I looked at it today. I thought, oh, there's so many announcements. They're all so small. Uh, there's nothing sort of you know nothing of great. Well, yeah, okay. Apart from Laura Wan support, that was kind of nice. But anyway, we we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's talk containers. So there were some monitoring based announcements there. First is a managed service for Prometheus. If you're not familiar with it, Prometheus is a monitoring tool. It looks at it's usually used in Kubernetes clusters where it looks at the traffic, it looks at how your containers are running, it basically collects all the data for your infrastructure and in most cases it will then send it to something like Grafana, which coincidentally at the same time also became a managed service by Amazon. It's, it's, I mean, the, the thing that I would observe about this is that they've announced two managed services for two extremely popular open source projects um, in this in this particular podcast that we're going to cover and it was very interesting I thought reading the reading the kind of announcements uh, from Grafana talking about how th- thrilled they were to have AWS uh, helping basically spread the spread the Grafana goodness to, to, to the world and I think we'll just contrast that with a different managed service. Um, <laughs> that we'll probably touch on soon. Um, so, but it was interesting, I think, uh, to see both Prometheus and Grafana join the AWS managed services stable. Um, uh, so, so kind of um, coincidentally with with those other other bits of news. Yeah, we've seen a lot of open source tooling get turned into managed services at, for AWS. And yes, the one that you've been clearly hinting at, aka Elastic, that's definitely one. But also one that was very much in the news when that happened is like MongoDB, which was the first one to change the service, uh, change their license to exclude cloud providers. Mm. So it's, it, it's, as you say, it's good to see that this at least seems to have gone very positively. At least that's what everybody's saying. I guess we'll find out in a year or two or whether or not any more licenses are changed or if Prometheus and Gravana are actually happy with this. Yeah. So to come back to the product, uh, this is a product in preview um, only in certain regions. Uh, you can use it as well in preview with EKS and ECS. Uh, and we were talking about, you know, managed services and, and AWS is offering EKS obviously for containers, and then usually you need to have uh, all this product to be able to do proper monitoring on your EKS cluster. So it makes sense that they're offering the extension of the different product as a managed services as well. So it's called IMP and IMG. And yeah, I'm looking forward to, to use them. They're apparently 100% compatible with Prometheus. You can use the same prompt QL queries. You can uh, use the Prometheus exporters um, and uh, it run across multiple availability zones. So it's uh, 
you know, highly available. Uh, why building your own stuff when you can have the same product managed by AWS? Yep. But another another question there would be, so why have two time series databases in, in AWS too? I mean, I know Prometheus has got is more than a time series da- database, but it's kind of at its core, that's what it is, right? Yes, but it is slightly different. And as AWS likes to offer all the options you might be interested in. Mm, yeah, for sure. It's, it's probably the push for EKS and, you know, uh, having EKS anywhere coming up um, and, and all that. I, I mean, we can't deny the presence of Kubernetes inside the AWS cloud. So we can try. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, don't, I don't especially like it, but it is there and people are using it. Uh, Painfully, I must say. Uh, so what about making the life easier of people who really want to use it by putting all the different product around it uh, as a managed services and then Sure, sure, sure. Look, I, I totally get it. I think um, I think it makes perfect sense. And, and obviously, you've got people wanting to move their Kubernetes clusters to AWS. They're going to say, well, yeah, but what about my Prometheus? Exactly, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Um, but I just think it's interesting... Um, you know, uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's something we've talked about heaps of times around, you know, um, AWS having more than one product that does something very similar. Yeah. Um, and then over time, you sort of, you know, they don't ever sort of really retire anything, obviously, but you sort of wonder whether there's a sort of a, I mean, I think the other example of that is probably the managed Cassandra service and DynamoDB. You know, again, you've got two, two, two things which are different, but they're often used to sa- solve the same sorts of problems. Problems. Yeah. So you've got two. You've got two choices now, and you sort of wonder whether you know. Uh, you, you you want. It'd be interesting to know how many people who are currently on Dynamo in in AWS go. Oh, now I can have managed Cassandra beauty, and the same thing with TimeStream. You know, people kind of going. Oh, actually, I really wanted Prometheus. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know what 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 de- what the sort of decision matrix would be like on on choosing between those things. And and I'm just I'm just seeing that they're both time stream and thinking, well, they must be must be similar. But um, I'm sure there's lots of differences as well. Well, uh, AWS like to offer choices, and and the yeah. announcement this month was CloudWatch adds 300 bit support for container logs and EKS and Kubernetes. So now, if you click in the console, you can have uh, the free on bit uh, logs sent to CloudWatch and then monitor them through CloudWatch. So that's again uh, offering people choice and not having to do a specific, uh, you know, hard. This is the way we use the cloud, and that's it. Um, I think I, I like I like that approach. Yep. Yeah. Another interesting announcement there was the EC2 image builder now supporting container images as well. I kind of feel like that makes the product name a bit of a misnomer now. Well, container image is still a container image, right? It's still the yeah, same. It's not an EC2 image. Oh, it's not an EC2. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you, you can build securely up-to-date Windows and Linux containers. So it's just not for only for Linux. Yeah. Yep. And I haven't tried this out yet. I don't know how good or bad it is. I've had issues just with Image Builder and generally just went back to Packer instead of using it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's what we had to do as well uh, for a couple of customers that Packer is kind of a safe bet. But there is new functionality who comes uh, with this image builder. You can distribute in, in uh, different ECRs across multiple accounts. So there is some advantage there. Maybe use that product, uh, can simplify it. Um, and then you have some trustability as well with InfoSec policies about the template and it's recorded so you know how it's been built and what's in, in the image exactly. So some advantage. 
pros and cons to be seen. Yeah. Yeah. Because I haven't done any work, I don't know. But does this actually still use Docker files? Because if it doesn't, then it would mean everybody needs to rewrite everything to actually be able to use this. And I don't see that happening because Docker files are quite convenient to build and test locally. Yeah. Let's just have a look on EC2 and VPC. More new Graviton instances. Yay! Yay, indeed. This time it's the 6CGN instance types, uh, which basically means that these are the same C6Gs that we're already familiar with, but now with 100 gigabit per second networking, which is nice if you need that, but I suspect most of you listening don't actually have that requirement. No, it's more for um, using the Elastic Fiber Adapter, the EFA, and to do workload with HPC, video processing, and, and you know take advantage of lower um, latency uh, for um, this type of clusters. So 100 gig network bandwidth, yes, but there's as well 38 gig of Elastic Block EBS bandwidth. Um, so that really helped. Um, the access uh, to the disk and then uh, they come in eight size from one CPU to 64 vCPUs but at the moment uh, they are available in uh, US, Virginia, Ohio, US West, Oregon and Europe Ireland only. The other announcement on the instance side is in autoscaling if you use mixed instances policies for your autoscaling group um, which is where you can define multiple different instance types for the same autoscaling group. And this is, for example, very useful if you want to use spot instances but have it automatically fall back to regular instances if they're available. You can now define up to 40 different instance types. <coughs> which which should, should be enough for everyone, surely. Oh, that looks a lot, but when you look at, you know, spot instances are per AZ. So if you have 10 type of instances by three AZs, then suddenly you are 30 very quickly. So I think it makes sense really for people to use spot. That's a good point. An interesting announcement as well is multi-attached support for IO2 instances. So when IO2 was announced, it had every single feature from IO1, but was faster and cheaper and all the good things, except for multi-attach. So multi-attach is where you can use the same instance, the same EBS volume across multiple instances. And that is now also supported in IO2, which basically takes away any excuse not to update your existing IO1. Yeah. So you, you can attach up to 16 uh, Nitro-based EC2 instance uh, in the same AZ, right? Though, so this is very important, yeah, because EBS is still per AZ. Uh, at the moment, it's US EC2 and US Central and APCS1. Um, that's about it, yes. And um, much faster, use it. Yep. So does any of you want to go deeply into light cell support for IPv6? <laughs> that's that's a that's a nano candidate, isn't it? Well, it's it's. Uh, I know you love light sail, JM. No, 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 I, do, I don't, I don't, I don't. But for people who you feel you feel obliged to 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 defend it anyway. No, I'm defending IPv6. I'm defending IPv6 there because um, you know light sail was only IPv4. You usually run website, uh, WordPress, and stuff like that on light sail, and suddenly some customer couldn't access you because uh, they use only IPv6. So now. 
I, uh, light setup on a, as a dual stack mode and cover IPv4, IPv6. So that, that makes sure that all these websites can be accessible by uh, people with IPv6 IP. So it, it's a kind of uh, a fix, I would say. Uh, but it's still a nano for me. Yeah, I agree. Some announcements on the DevOps side then. So as developers, uh, new SDK versions are always fun. So personally, I'm happy that the Go SDK version 2 is now generally available. I played around with it two years ago when it first came out in beta and saw some really nice improvements in how to write the code. Uh, it had so it wasn't as good performance-wise at the time. So in the two years since that has happened, I have no doubt that that has improved and it has some new features. And I'm looking forward to trying it out more. So according to the announcement, I'm not a good developer, so I don't know. But there is enhanced error handling, improvement in pagination, and uh, better CPU and memory utilization as well. So uh, probably yeah, a, a faster lambda function running on Go now. Yep. And the JavaScript SDK has uh, adopted that mod- modular architecture that I think was being we probably talked about sometime recently with um, separate packages for each service instead of sort of a monolith, um, which might make life easier, hopefully. So yeah, a couple of features as well. Similarly, um, async generator, bidirectional streaming of a WebSocket and support for HTTP slash two protocol. Now, in the dev section, um, in order to ensure we don't get feedback about skipping it, the most important announcement was probably then the general availability of Coretto 11 for Linux on ARM32 and for Windows on x86 32-bits. So if you've got something running on that, I have absolutely no idea what when <laughs> you could last buy hardware that actually was 32-bit. But if you do... You can run Coretto 11 on it now. Congratulations. And <laughs> might I suggest upgrading your hardware? Yes, which is not supported anymore on Windows for a long, long time now, yes. Yeah. So what, what do you reckon, where's the demand for that, do you think? Is it, is it old, uh, is, it, um, is it like industrial systems or something? But then why would they be using Coretto? I don't know. I feel like it's probably a bank. That asked for it, right? Because yeah. it's always banks that need that run old hardware. Maybe an old ATM run Windows 86 on 32-bit and, and need need Java to operate. Um, and because the licensing is going away with Oracle, so um, maybe that's the only way for them to uh, keep the hardware going. You're right. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe my my key uh, the my key system uses uses Credo. Oh, really? That's probably that's probably 32-bit. <laughs> Uh, some improvement in the porting assistant for .NET. Um, it supports automated code translation now. So not only I'll remind everyone that it's an open source product who analyze your .NET framework and then make sure that you can upgrade to .NET Core and the .NET 5 family to be able to migrate from all Windows stuff to uh, Linux, by the way. Um, so um, now the, the porting assistant can automate code translation. So it could going to identify incompatibilities, but when it knows how to fix them, then it's going to be able to inject in your code um, the commonly found incompatibility in .NET Core. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, make the migration to .NET Core even faster for .NET people. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's really good. Really good announcement. Solid. Yep, definitely good. 
and on the so call it upside, we've got more managers in systems manager, change manager, a fleet manager, and an application manager. Yep, three more products, yes. Um, so AWS venturing into the ITL system with change manager to be able to keep track of what's happening on your machines and then who can do the change and have a type of workflow where people are proving your run command or some other type of uh, patching you're going to do. So that's pretty integrated with um, AWS organization and single sign-in. So uh, that's uh, interesting um, how they, they really see that as a full organization product and, and it works across AWS region and across multiple accounts. So that's, um, that's cool. The uh, process, so every change request will cost you around 30 cents. Uh, US in, per, per account. So, um, when you want to do, um, some, some power, uh, approval process. So a bit of cost there, but they're venturing in the space of, uh, you know, service now and all this other product. Uh, so interesting that if you don't want to go to full blown service, you can still use a uh, proper change management, uh, inside the AWS space across your org. Yeah. Considering how much money is usually wasted on people sitting in meetings and stuff like that about those changes, those 30 cents are not exactly the main expense there. Yeah. And who did the change? And go to the war room. And yes, um, I remember all of them. Um, so the other manager is uh, application management. And uh, they consolidated the product, by the way. Um, and so you can have auto discovery of your application available in CloudFormation, EKS, or the AWS launch result. And then that's going to populate your, uh, your system manager application. So, um, yeah, I never use it. I don't know if that's, that's good or bad. So, so this, this one, so it's, what's it detecting? So just, it just in your AWS account, it's finding your applications for you. Yes. Yeah. Is it like, is it like application discovery? That you'd run on a on a migration instance, or you know, in a, in a migration, you you do application discoveries. Essentially, that. Well, system system manager can do that already, right? It can monitor your processes and the software installs stuff like that. But this one is more about the application, I think, and managing the application as a, a group. I haven't tested it. I can't. Really, so it says yeah. here, auto discovery is available for applications running in CloudFormation stacks and EKS clusters. Yeah or launched using a launch wizard. So I guess it's not sniffing your account, it's actually going to those services and and, and looking for evidence yeah. that you've got things running. Hmm, interesting. Then your CloudWatch logs and your CloudWatch alarm get consolidated into one place where you can have lack of a more an operation kind of dashboard instead of having you to go and dig into your EC2 instance logs and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting concept, isn't it? I mean, yeah, if 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 it can do that kind of smarts for you and just make management managing your applications a bit more um a bit a bit more streamlined, I guess that that's probably that's probably um and is this a, a is this a um what's the pricing for this? Do you know? No, I don't. I don't have information on that. Uh, I think it was free. Free. I like that price tag. <laughs> yeah, AWS Systems Manager Application Manager is available today at no extra charge in all AWS commercial regions, GovCloud, and the China region. So I guess I guess because it's it's consolidating things like CloudWatch logs into an application view. I guess that's why it's looking at things like CloudFormation stacks. It's it's got to find it's 
it needs some help in 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 knowing what resources are, are related to this to this application. Let's have a look at security then. It was single sign-on. According to the blog post, it now supports Microsoft Edge synchronization. Uh, basically, the only real change here is that it now also synchronizes groups, which means you can see the groups in your AWS uh, single sign-on console, uh, admin console, obviously, and that changes to its keep up to date. This is only the case for groups that you have already assigned to something within SSO, whether it's an application or a permission set. So it isn't for all um, groups on your Microsoft ID, which is probably good from a security standpoint or privacy standpoint. It is less good for solving problem I've personally got where you can't use CloudFormation with groups that have not yet been synced. But it's a step forward and hopefully we'll see more improvements on that in the near future. And look, life wasn't meant to be easy, Alien, so, you know. No, it's, it is. It is supposed to be easy. <laughs> <laughs> the other big announcement in security, yes, is Amazon Route 53 supporting DNSSEC. So domain name system security extension for a Route 53. Uh, so you can enable uh, DNS uh, SS or DNSSEC um, validation on your Route 53 resolvers in your VPCs and uh, to ensure that there is no tampering with the DNS record uh, you're going to provide to your customer when in transit. Um, so automatically, um, uh, there's some cryptography who is happening uh, with KMS there to be able to sign uh, each um, record of your hosted zone and uh, um, the customer can verify that key and um, verify that the, the record is got. It's correct. It's mainly targeted to customer for FedRAMP and, and some other, you know, highly regulated uh, health uh, stuff in the US. Might come to Australia very quickly, but at the moment, if you don't need it, yeah, don't enable it. Um, it it's quite painful to uh, to put in place. Make sure your ISP is supporting that as well, or use Route T3 for your dom domain registrar. So um, yeah, it's a good addition. Some people were complaining about it. Uh, that Route 53 was not supporting it, so I think AWS has solved that now. There's some this there's some new guard guard duty threat detections for S3 that's probably maybe useful. Yes, that, that was added. So S3 was added to guard duty I think last year, um, mid mid last year, and then you can you need to enable it uh, if you have uh, already guard duty. But this three help you detect uh, if the IP caller to the bucket is a malicious IP. Um, or if they're trying to exfiltrate data from your S3, or if there is an impact uh, on, on the um, and what, what will be the impact on on your S3 bucket? So, yeah, I think it's it's good. Um, you know, a lot of hackers going to try to exfiltrate your data from S3 from anonymous proxy or from the Tor network or from anonymous node or something. So um, that might help you to give you some alarm bells and hey, something is going wrong on on your account and uh, have a look at your S3 buckets. So yeah. Mm. I'm Amazon Detective, um, Enhanced IP Address Analytics. Um, so now Detective can, um, you know, give more information about the, the source IP, what has been hitting your, your EC2 instance, or how long that IP has been interactive with my resource, how much data went through that IP, 
which of my EC2 instances can talk to that IP. So again, it's more for, you know, forensic analysis later, but I think that's a good addition to be able to do uh, a better data mining on, on the information Amazon Detective provide. Data storage and processing. Actually, one that I found, an announcement here that I found interesting is for a product that I think many people always forget AWS actually has, which is Amazon Cloud Search. It has updated the instances, so new instance types there. It's not mentioned what kind of instances or anything like that, because as I said, the service probably isn't used all that much. But my suspicion is that this basically followed the trend from all the other managed services where it's suddenly using Graviton instances because that saves Amazon some money. Yeah, that would make perfect sense. Yeah, and I guess they, they would be looking to do to roll that through all, all of the existing managed services. Yeah. Um, AWS Transfer Family now support uh, EFS. So before Transfer Family had support on ES3s. Um, so I'll remind everyone is FTP, SFTP. Uh, transfer system. Uh, it's a, it's a node to respond to your upload request and can load to S3. Now you can load to EFS. Why we would do that? I'm not sure. Um, EFS can be mounted from on-prem with the NFS4. Uh, so maybe only for people from outside storing stuff on EFS, but why? Yeah, it's more expensive than S3 anyway. So I'm not sure the, the purpose, but um, there is no additional cost uh, to use that except the EFS cost is for storage backend, obviously. Mm. Yeah. And Aurora now supports Postgres 12, which is nice if you're a Postgres user and want to switch to the later. I believe 12 is the latest. I'm actually not sure. But you can, you can uh, perform for um, Aurora MySQL 5.6.5.7 in place upgrade. So you don't have to do a snapshot and then do a restoring. You can uh, do an upgrade from the version. So they make life easier if you use Amazon Aurora to move between versions. So usually we would now have our AI and ML section. Uh, the only announcement there were some new instance types for SageMaker, which is the ML.P4D instances. So instead, because we did have a lot of IoT announcements and Guy complained because they were announced, I think, a day or two after we recorded our last podcast, that he didn't get those he didn't get to talk to about them at that point. So, guy, <laughs> IoT, and, and and ever since I've I've ignored all the announcements because I, I I took an AWS a, a detox um, <laughs> in December. So yeah, so most of these I've just looked at today. The 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 LoRaWAN support um, was was one that sort of stuck out for me. Um, so LoRaWAN um, is a long range WAN uh, technology. For so it's low power and and very across very large distances. So it's it's used in in a lot of IoT applications where you, you've got like so f- um, farm farms that have devices on cows that might be you know kilometers away and so forth. Um, so this we've got some support for LoRaWAN in uh, AWS IoT Core now. So um, you can put your uh, LoRaWAN gateway. Um, you can you can connect that into. Um, IoT Core. There's a new version of Greengrass 2.0, so that's that's a, a software for um, devices. So that's a new version of that. Um, SiteWise Edge. I actually don't know what that is. Uh, I'm guessing it's um, 
It's an on-prem version of Sidewise. Right. Right. Nice. Okay. So, but hang on. Sitewise already was on-prem. So now I'm confused. So Sitewise is the sort of um, collector software that that you can put in your factory and it'll like aggregate data from lots of different gateways and so forth. So, so what's so Sitewise? Edge. Okay. I assume that is for the, the collection and organizing of the data will happen on premise now. So yeah, instead of uploading everything, you can uh, install that on local hardware and local gateways to be able to upload data to to AWS uh, in like manipulated instead of uploading the data raw. Yeah, um, the, the use case that seems to be mentioned here is that you can keep the sensitive data on-prem. And do data masking and stuff like that, maybe, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. We're all learning something tonight. <laughs> um, Sitewise plugin for Grafana. So obviously AWS loves Grafana now, so they're, they're doing stuff like that. Um, what else have we got? Delivering data to Kaf- Ka- Apache Kafka clusters. They also love their um, managed service for Kafka. So there's adding support for that. The IoT edu- uh, Educate. Seems interesting. Oh, yes. That's kind of cute. So that's like a, um, well, it's a little box with, it's, it's a little bit like a Raspberry Pi, except it's got a screen and it's in a case, but it's got all the usual sort of um, inputs and outputs, you know, Ethernet and card slot and so forth. It's about 40 odd bucks US. They're made by a company called M5 Stack. Um, so they're basically an AWS branded version of something that m5 stack produce anyway um it's got an esp32 um processor inside and yeah there's a little two inch two inch screen on the front so quite a nice little device if you're i guess developing an iot product or if you just want to learn how to do it um it's got ethernet port it's got uh what's it got uh ethernet usb um power i don't know i think it's it's got a battery in it, which is kind of so it's got a lithium battery in it. Some expansion modules so you can expand on it and stuff like that. But basically, does this mean that if they called this deep IoT, they would have had something after all? <laughs> deep IoT. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, except it's got no machine learning in it at the moment, so they'd have to they'd have to put some they'd put put some machine learning in it some somehow. So maybe that's just going to be V two next year. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they need to put an in, uh, an inferential chip in it, or they will put uh, device defender ML detect on it. Yeah, there you go. Which is the next announcement down? Yes. So again, um, so obviously AWS are quite busy in this space at the moment. And one of the announcements at reInvent was the Monotron, um, which I think we took, did we talk about that in December or did it come after that? Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. So um, so again, you know, they're, they're looking, I guess, it, it investing in this, in this space and in particular looking at, uh, you know, um, industrial monitoring and and obviously um, machine learning is a key um, technology in that space to do uh, anomaly detection, which is what the Monotron uh, system sort of gives you out of the box. And in this case, Device Defender is is, a, is using ML to detect uh, security events, things that, that are going on with your um, your IoT device that, that aren't expected. 
Shall we have a look at the other cool stuff? I think that's a good idea. Yes. So, honestly, I don't know if it's cool stuff, but the whole kerfuffle with Elasticsearch. Mm. So, for those who missed what happened here, is Elastic um, was unhappy, or the investors were unhappy, maybe. I don't really know. And they decided, you know what, we'll follow the example of MongoDB and actually change to that same license that Mongo uses, which is a license that seems to be aimed at basically avoiding usage by cloud provider in managed products. Yeah. So so as 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 I understood it, the, the new license basically requires um, anyone who runs the software that 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 any management plane or a tooling that they put in place around this the software also has to be released as open source. Correct. Yeah, or as under the same license, presumably. Yeah. So that would kind of basically mean it's sort of designed. I guess if I was being cynical, it's designed to to screw people like AWS, who obviously are going to build management planes around things like Elasticsearch. Um, and and make it unviable for them to, to, to do it. That is not being cynical. That is literally what the license is aimed at. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, read a, I read a blog and someone was, uh, I think it's true that uh, on Azure is called Elastic on Azure and on Google is called Elastic on GCP where they pay the fees to Elastic where AWS had Elasticsearch, which was a product a long, long time ago. And uh, they don't have the same arrangement, so Elastic had to put some pressure on them. And I think probably AWS said no. And um, so now Elasticsearch is going to be forked and maintained by AWS because that was the completely unexpected results that AWS picked up the fork they already made. Because I think it was last year or the year before, where Elastic already started moving something, some parts of the code into non-open source versions. And AWS at that time decided, okay, we'll offer fully open source versions of that, of those same functionalities. And now they're basically picking up that, um, at the time, not really yet a fork, but now turning it into an actual fork. Because one of the side effects as well of the new license is that it makes a lot of companies that use it. So not just cloud providers, but actual um, companies, organizations, they uh, become wary of it. They don't want to use it as much because, hey, there might be, if they use it in the wrong way, they might need to open source their own stuff as well. And that does not make them happy. Yeah. So, yeah. So AWS announced on Twitter the next day uh, that they will fork the product and they will release it through the Apache 2.0 license. Um, so they, they did that. So the Elasticsearch and Kibana now is based on um, on that license and the version 7.10 uh, is going to be published on GitHub for people to be able to use. Um, so yeah, big muscle Elastic didn't work against AWS, I guess. No, and I wouldn't, to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if Google and Azure also think, well, we can pay that license or we can just... Use the, op- the open source from AWS. Are you sure they're going to do that? <laughs> yeah. Depending on how the product will evolve, right? Um, I think a long time ago is Oracle bought MySQL and, and you know, make make a mess of it um, and people had to fork it. So, uh, yeah, we, we see time we tell where, where that product evolved. And yeah, 
But Elastic is not a tiny, small open source company who don't have any money, right? It, it's a multi-billion dollars company who make a lot of revenue on Elastic. So they wanted maybe a bit more. Yeah, interesting. Interesting to see how it plays out. But for now, let's look at more interesting or more fun things. Adverse mm-hmm. Cloud Shell. This is probably the, the other most most talked about announcement, I reckon. But certainly the circles are moving <laughs> anyway. Um, that since Cloud Shell was was one of those things that everyone went, ah, oh, Cloud Shell. We finally got cloud. Finally got a cloud shell. Uh, I think JM, you've got all the deets on this, haven't you? Oh, I I I just I had a look at it, logged into it, um, play a bit with it, tried to install stuff, broke it, <laughs> and then uh, and then. Uh, yeah, I did a couple of pseudo commands and then suddenly nothing was working again. Um, so I had to revert back, but you can revert back by just deleting your uh, user folder. So uh, and then login again and you are you are back on. So uh, AWS CLI 2.058, uh, Python 3.7, and couple of uh, other type of plugin automatically through your console, through your Chrome or or, or, or different browser, uh, you get logged in automatically. Um, so you don't have to inject a permanent keys, a secret key and a token. Um, you get your identity straight from uh, from the AWS console. So you can do get caller identity and then see who you are and stuff like that. So yeah, very, very easy to use. You have one gig of memory uh, storage uh, free per, per AWS region. So the sad part is not yet in Sydney. So you need to log into the US or other other regions, but I'm sure you're going to come very quickly. It's based on the shell environment based on Amazon Linux 2. Um, so you can do batch command. Like I said, you can do sudo, install stuff. And after a while, you get disconnected and then you can re-log into your console and keep going. So it's a, yeah, it's a cool product. I mean, all the cloud provider was offering something similar. Most of the product get disabled by financial organization because they don't like it. So it's better to go back to a system manager or something which is a bit more kind of uh, regulated. But um, yeah, it's a it's cool. It's going to help us to do trainings and stuff like that for, for engineer and maybe make an engineer faster uh, operational instead of him to have installed all the stuff on his machine and, and, and sometime, you know, lock machine who can't install anything. Then you can very quickly run, you know, Python script and Stuff like that. Uh, you, there's a new IM, the role, um, or policy that you need to have is AWS cloud shell full access policy. Uh, you need to be able to do that. Otherwise, if you get denied, that won't work. That's what I had on it. Cool. That's a pretty good summary. <laughs> um, Amazon location. Amazon location was another interesting play, I thought. So if you, if you look at this as also, it, 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 it's, it's kind of got, uh, a tie-in with uh, IoT stuff, I think, because I think a lot of use cases for IoT involve, you know, tracking tracking things, um, and there was not really anything in AWS for solving that. Um, so with with Amazon Location, you've basically got the ability to create maps, create um, geofencing, um, and it's a sort of a location awareness uh, product, I guess. Um, and you know, in terms of, I guess, uh, you know, if you if you're if you're someone who's been developing apps and 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 map based apps, um, it'll be an option for you to to use Amazon's tiles to to to, to build your your apps. And I'm guessing something like this is going to end up in uh, things like um, Amplify if it's not there already to to make that easier for you. As you can use a couple of different map libraries um, to 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 build your um, map. 
Um, it supports Mapbox GL and Tangram. I haven't used Tangram. Maps, Mapbox GL has been around for a while. So yeah, so it's a kind of an interesting, it's an interesting new kind of product for AWS. Um, and, but I think it, 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 it sort of ties in with a bunch of other sort of strategically uh, important things, IoT being one of them, and just sort of general, I guess, knowing more about the user um, and and be able to kind of work with users in in space. It's kind of going to give give you tools around that. Okay. Uh, is is uh, available in US East, Virginia, and Ohio, US West, Oregon, uh, Ireland, and Tokyo at the moment, and still in preview. Yeah, still in preview. And anybody says, you know, is price at a fraction of a common alternative. So without naming who it is, um, <laughs> Google Maps. <laughs> and then the first three months are free. So that's interesting um, uh, that they would uh, encourage people to use that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, it's using Esri's um, maps. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Esri. Um, but you know, most of the data itself is is part of the OpenStreetMap project now. It's come from the OpenStreetMap project. If you're not familiar with that, what that is, it's basically um, community generated map 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 data. Um, so it's all been built by people basically, you know, riding riding around places and collecting GPS coordinates and building building the maps. So it's a it's an open open source data set, um, which is probably what's making it possible. They don't seem to have any um, I haven't seen anywhere. They, they don't seem to have any other imagery other than street maps. So there's no um, satellite imagery or or, or um, uh, aerial or 3D or anything like that fancy that you'd get from um, Google. Yeah. So it's base. It's very basic. It's just flat street maps. But you know, if that's all you need, and a lot of use cases do only need that. Yeah. It's it's got some interesting. It's an interesting product because it you know places like Mapbox that have got you know map tiles and different imagery and sort of some tools around um, doing geospatial type calculations. They're they're kind of. Uh, obviously tying it in with this idea of having a tracker and having geofencing those are the sort of two sort of key capabilities that they're kind of leading with which are a differentiator so yeah it's it's, it's an interesting interesting space for them to be getting into cool cost anomaly detection yeah that that i, I turned that on in my account this, this afternoon just to just, i think something like that would be perfect for me because I, I i do stupid things <laughs> <laughs> i go and i go and turn something on and then forget about it and then like you know come back a week later and go oh <laughs> what's happened to my bill um yeah so those sorts of but it should generally be steady state right so if if, if my account is usually steady state and then something strange happens um that's that's really what i want to know about so that's what this seems to do have you had a look at it jm uh so uh, yeah i enabled in my account as well it's a free service that monitor your spending um and detect uh, anomalies on in spending if you you know suddenly so someone start mining bitcoin on your account you will be alerted so there is no cost but if you have sns attached to it then there will be a cost for the sns uh to send you uh which is usually free tier anyway but um so yeah it's it's now ga we talked about it a bit before when it was in preview and uh yeah you can enable it yeah yeah and you probably should Go and do it now. <laughs> it's like gratuity is something you need to have. Um, while we are in cost, there is an announcement this month as well about uh, being able to use a usage report in the available member or linked account. 
in the past, all the uh, costing report, the CSV file coming from um, uh, the, the billing system to S3 uh, were only in the master account. So now you can have as well in into the, the child account uh, that that um, reports detail in, in CSV file that you can, you know, do more analysis on it. So it's not limited to the master account anymore. The master account will still receive all the information of all the accounts, but now the member account can have the, the costed usage report as well. Yeah, which is good because then people with access to that uh, member account can actually see the reports as well for what they use without needing access to the master account. Yeah, that, that, that's ideal, right? You want to... Um, empower your your member user to be able to use their their own uh, account and their own costing and monitor the costing without having to give them access to the master account definitely a good security improvement as well there well we're on the pricing one sqs now has tiered pricing i don't suspect most people will actually even notice this because the tiering is the first one million requests per month is free and then the next tier is from 1 million to 100 billion requests per month. <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder which customer asked for this and got it. But if you if you look at the announcement just before that, there was a high throughput uh, more in FIFO, right? Well, we're talking about 3,000 messages per second now for the uh, FIFO queue. So, you know, if we come back to a financial organization or a trading application who used to use Kafka or the product like that now can maybe use SQS instead and then that makes certainly sense uh, when you have a lot of transactions per second. Yep. So the, the high throughput FIFO uh, for FIFO queue is in preview and it's only in the US, Virginia, Ohio, Oregon and Ireland at the moment. A couple of announcements in Control Tower, which is interesting. Uh, more region, um, I think 10 more region has been announced today and you can extend your governance as well to a new you existing new org. Um, so, uh, Cosmo Tower can kind of take his different uh, security product, um, on all use and, and, uh, all the account will exist. And then I want to see that product to work, but, um, they have a, a, an import system uh, to import an account into Control Tower, which was a set of Python script who was working account per account. Well, people said it's impossible. It takes like 45 minutes, an hour per account. It's not, not viable. And uh, now Control Tower just released a product for bulk account update. So you can import up to 300 accounts in one go uh, into your Control Tower. We'll be very interested to see what type of organization use 300 account with Control Tower. I would say they probably have their own landing zone, but um, why not? Uh, and let's see how that import will work and how many failure you will need to uh, remediate after that. Yeah, it's, I wonder if the button has a big, like it's big and red and shiny, <laughs> and it's got a danger sort of written underneath it or something. Yeah. So, but like we said before, Control Tower is not the best product. He has been pushed by AWS a lot. It's getting better and better. It's still a long way to go, uh, but there is uh, still a lot of improvement happening all the time. And it's still a click and go product through the console, right? There is no API, there is no CLI, so I won't use it yet. Then where are the nanos? I added one for myself. <laughs> Oh, I had the core to even on, on ARM32 and Windows 32-bit. Um, it doesn't doesn't help us, doesn't touch us. Um, maybe, as you said, some remote financial company in the US um, having ATM running on 32-bit. Mm-hmm. 
And I think I think I would have to stick with the light cell IPv6 one, <laughs> even, even though even though I know there are use cases for it. I, it's just it, it doesn't excite me. Yeah, 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 makes sense. Yeah, the one I picked was Aurora supports in-place upgrades from Postgres um, 11 to 12. Not because it's not useful, but because it was announced in a separate announcement at the same time as hey, Aurora now supports Postgres 12. there's literally no point in making that a separate announcement other than beefing up the number of announcements yeah they they have a quota yeah yeah, good point I had another one which is the the tagging of Elastic IP address at creation time ah yes I know know it's useful but ah, why was not there day one right why we couldn't tag Elastic IP address I don't know and and we still can't tag by the way AWS if you listen we can't still tag the uh, EBS root volumes uh, with CloudFormation I don't understand why 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 (laughs) please fix it and with that we have reached the end of today's episode so obviously I want to thank everybody for listening and I want to thank our sponsors this year we still have the same sponsors there's our our gold sponsor enabler and our silver sponsors AC3 CMD solutions and do it international so thank you to all of those for sticking with us into 2021 and of course talking about sticking with us thank you as well JM Thank you. My pleasure. Always a pleasure to discuss with you guys the news. And Guy, thank you as well. Well, Thanks for having me. And it's always always a learning experience, which I love. Cool. And then goodbye, everyone. And hopefully we'll see you next time.